we have so much wisdom within us that we disavow. We don't trust ourselves. We allow external noise to really kind of guide us. And to me, it was like, how do we mine that gold? How do we excavate our gold and share it with others? Welcome to Inspiration Rising. My name is David Trotter. I'm a business growth strategist, passionate about helping women and men double your business online, all without that paralyzing overwhelm feeling alone, or wondering what the heck to do next. I'm a former pastor and serial entrepreneur who is passionate about personal growth because that's what helped me cultivate peace in my life and love my amazing wife, Laura, of over 26 years and our two almost grown kids. So if you're all about business, personal growth, and peace in your life, you're in the right place. I'm super glad that you're here. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Inspiration Rising. It is great to have you. I got a question for you. Do you love yourself? Yes. Do you love yourself? Now, I got to tell you, that is a tough question for me, Dave Trotter, because for most of my life, I'm not sure that I have loved myself. And I will be honest with you again and tell you, I still struggle with loving myself. I can tell you, All of the things that I don't like about myself, for sure. I mean, that can be a long list, all right? The challenge is, though, when I am focused on all the negative things in my life, guess what I focus on in the lives of all those people around me? It becomes like this lens, this worldview through which I'm looking, going, if I see negative things in my life, I then look through that lens and see negative things in other people's lives. And yet, as I have worked the last few years on really asking, going, okay, Dave, what do you love about yourself? What are those qualities? What are those gifts and talents? What are those eccentricities about yourself that you love? And start celebrating those things in my life. Well, then I start to see others through that lens as well. Right. If I look through the lens of my own life, of negativity, of things that I'm critical about, I'll see that in others. But yet, if I begin to shift that and love myself, I can begin to see others that way. It's really hard to love other people when you don't love yourself. Well, today I want to introduce you to Jeanette Schneider. She's the founder and CEO of Live Media. And Live is not only her daughter's name, but it stands for Love is Viral. And that's exactly what she set out to do, is make love go viral. After 23 years in finance, Jeanette hung up her executive title to follow her dream of empowering others to live their lives with intention. And she's the creative mind behind the award-winning app called the Live Pocket Coach. And she's also the author of Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future. This is a very honest conversation about loving yourself through the ups and downs of life and finding your voice in the process. If you enjoy this episode, I want to invite you to share it on social media and tag Jeanette and Inspo Rising, both of those links you can find in our show notes, so that other people can find out about this important conversation. All right, let's jump into this interview with Jeanette Schneider. Well, Jeanette, thanks so much for taking some time to hang with me today. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So this concept of love is viral. I want to hear the story behind how you came up with it and why it means so much to you. Absolutely. Um, 
I think before the name came about, there was the concept um, that I believed that in order to stop generational trauma and story and the um, a mother's conversations with herself about her body or the father's viewpoints on the world and the way it looks, um, we have to really get clear on what is true for us and what has been told to us through fable, through story, through generational lineage, or through advertising. And before we pass it down to our children, a lot of times when our kids ask us questions, we have a tendency to just kind of speak just whatever word bubbles pop into our mind. And a lot of times they weren't placed there purposely. They were placed there on accident. And um, when I had my daughter, I realized as I started to answer her questions, and she had very logical questions. So one of the first that she asked me, she came home from school and she says, is it true that a boy hits you because he likes you? And I said, that is not true. And that's a good question because... While he may not have the right words, that's not an appropriate behavior. So don't think that if a boy mistreats you, it's because he has affection for you. So like, I was like, okay, think through this, right? And I got really good at practicing the pause, like pause before I answer her because I'm I'm informing an entire belief system. Yeah, you could have just gone, oh yeah, isn't that cute? Oh yeah, slug him back, you know? Yeah, exactly. Playful, yeah. Wow, so powerful. Okay, keep going. Yeah. One of the other ones was, she says, mommy, my teacher told me that sticks and stones may make, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But that doesn't make any sense because I think words are, are strong. And I was like, okay, so yes, we have to be conscientious um, when we're using our words because mm-hmm. they're very powerful. Um, and I had all these insights. It's This is really funny. I had all these ideas as to the daughter that I wanted to raise. So like I was this like hardcore feminist. I had a job in corporate America. I didn't want her to believe she ever needed a man. So I wouldn't let her have any like kitchen toys, mm-hmm. cleaning toys. I wouldn't let her play with dolls. And then whenever we'd go over to a friend's house, she would immediately be drawn to those things. Sure, of course. But then she'd hold the baby and go, Mommy, I'm loving the baby like you. Or, Mommy, I'm making pasta like you make for me. And it made me realize, like, you know, we're even when we're selecting our messaging for our children, are we doing it by our own bias? Are we doing it? constructively. I did Hmm. not want her having anything to do with Disney princesses and she left Cinderella, which like broke my heart because I was like, oh God, always waiting for the prince to come. (laughs) And then one day she like click clacks across our kitchen floor in my high heels. She was like four and she was like very purposeful. And I was like, where are you going? And she says, I have Cinderella with me. We're going to New York to close a deal. Cause she'd hear me talk about how I would go on these trips to close business deals. And I was yeah. like, Oh my God, Cinderella is not her aspiration. She's her business partner. <laughs> so like, it made me kind of aware very clearly of how we construct messaging um, based on our own bias, based on the way we've been raised, our own trauma, our own triggers. And my daughter ended up being the one that named our company. So her name's Olivia and I call her Liv. And um, I had previously written a book called Lore and I was like, I'm trying to decide what to name my company. Do I name it after one of my babies, Liv or Lore? And she says, well, I don't like you naming a company after me, but what if Liv stood for something? And I said, what could it stand for? And she says, well, you believe that people need to love themselves to love others. And you also believe, or if it's a media company, so you want things to go viral. So what if we made love go viral? What if it stood for love is viral? And I just love that because the entire concept of 
deep work internally so that we can create generational social change and what it does not only for yourself and your loved ones, but also for your community, your globe, the the people that you come in contact with. Our influence is shifted as we begin to look internally. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your own journey. When did that own self-exploration you know, start to come about because it sounds like you've had some sort of an awakening along the way. At what point did that come for you? I've had many awakenings. I feel like when I, when I didn't get the message the first time, I kind of got a shoe across the top of the head. Um, It happened in multiple ways. And I think when I was ready to face certain aspects of my life for belief systems, right? So I was raised in a very strict religious upbringing, um, by a minister father, but my mother was an addict. So we had this dichotomy, this weird juxtaposition of, of God and alcohol within the mm. same home that created um, a lot of struggle for me. And so um, there was... the was, alcohol covered up in the process or was it more open? Uh, for a long time. For a long time it was covered up because I don't think anyone wanted to realize that there was an issue, mm-hmm. you know, and or, or what the issue was until much later. Um, And it was as I became older that I kind of went on this quest to find myself. And I I didn't have an understanding of faith as most people do. So I kind of went on my own little journey. It lasted about 10 years. Um, I made a lot of mistakes. I learned a lot of things along the way um, and created my own relationship with faith that Mm -hmm. I think that was very important. And then the second time I had a deep awakening was um, when I divorced my daughter's father. Mm. And that was a very traumatic experience. Um, It was every, every story I ever had in my head was triggered. Um, And I remember lying on the floor of our, our guest bedroom. He, He was in the process of moving out and just crying and being like, not believing that I could be a good anything, a good mother, a good Mm -hmm. wife, a good friend, and just being like, feeling so broken open. And after that, I think my true deep internal journey began because then it was like, okay, what kind of woman is going to get up off this floor? What kind of mother is getting off this floor? What partner is getting off this floor? Um, And I decided while I was down in that deep space that whoever was coming out of the ashes was not going to look like the person who walked in the room before. Mm. How do you look different these days than that person? Um, I think for me it was, and it continues to be a connection to voice, right? So finding my own voice and advocating for self. Um, I think in past relationships I had allowed behaviors because I didn't believe that I was lovable or worthy. Hmm. Um, and so there became like a deep healing process where it was like, why don't I believe that I'm lovable? Why do I allow certain people to come into my life and mistreat me? Hmm. And if I'm the common denominator, it's not their fault. It's what I'm allowing. It's what I'm bringing into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the standards became very high. Um, with that said, that's not that there's a new, I have great boundaries, but there's also love and compassion, right? Understanding that we're all on our own journey. And just because, you know, you may not be right for me or this situation or this job, that doesn't mean that it's not right for someone. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was really kind of, there's kind of an emotional maturity that grew from that. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. And you're in a relationship now. Mm-hmm. Um, and how would you, I mean, that's a big, I know for anyone that's come out of a, a challenging relationship, obviously to enter into a new one is really, a. um, uh, it can be scary. It can be overwhelming. It can be exciting. Sure. Obviously it's all the things, you know, yeah. um, how did you have the courage or the fortitude to enter into a new relationship after mm-hmm. the previous one didn't end the go the way you wanted it to? Sure. I spent a long time single. I was single for five years. Um, and I, I dated here and there, but I was never very serious. Um, there was that if I could be with someone f- that gave me their name and we have a child together. And, and so horrifically, how can I open myself up to trust? And so I think it had to become a different conversation and one with myself, which was like, do you trust yourself? Do you love yourself? What are your, what, and are you showing up as a person of value? I think I had to figure out who I was as a valuable individual mm. and what I brought to the table. Cause I think I was losing myself in previous relationships. And, um, I have to say during that, that five years, there were some, some of the people that I ended up dating or having friendships with the men I still hold them all in high regard because they each taught me something. It was mm. almost like I had all these people come to me at various aspects um, to teach me a little bit something about what it was like to be treated well, mm. um, how it felt to be courted, how, to, how it felt to be appreciated. And I think it was because as I was raising my own my own value or worth in, inwardly, it mm-hmm. was being reflected. So the value and the 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 high value people were starting to come to me. Um, what was funny is that um, I ended up meeting my partner. Um, it was about five years. I had decided to start intentionally dating, purposely dating. So I was, I was in charge. I, I made sure that I was like, if I'm going to bring someone else into my life and it's time now, um, they have to be good for me. They have to be good for my daughter. They also have to want to grow with me. And I um, dated four men intentionally. My partner was the fourth. Um, Each one of them courted me, treated me like a queen. Um, And then when I met him, it was really funny because I was writing my book at the time and I had to write a chapter on relationships because it fit with this overall overarching theme of the book. Sure. When I turned in the chapter, my publisher was like, this chapter is terrible like there's no depth, everything else you have very deep. There's nothing here. And I was like, because I've never actually had a very healthy relationship. Hmm. And they were like, then maybe it's time you figure out what that looks like and what it, what you would do if you were in a relationship that was healthy. So I ordered all these books and I was reading every, every well-known relationship therapist, coach, couple, sure, whatever. Sure. And um, so I was writing out what ended up being the blueprint to my relationship. Mm. And I wrote this chapter. And as I started dating my partner, he came over one night and I was like, I just want you to know, know, all these books about relationships and marriage and conflict and intimacy and anger and appreciation. And I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I'm writing a book. And so it's not like I'm reading these for you. I literally am writing a book about this. And he's like, you have a roadmap? And I was like, I guess I do. And he's like, I want to read it. And to have someone come back to you to meet you and yeah. not be like, oh my gosh, this is too weird. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Threatened, overwhelmed. No, whatever. not yeah, at yeah. all. He was like, 
you are consciously aware of what you want in a relationship and how you want it to look. I said, yes. Mm. He's like, I would like to read that, please. Mm -hmm. And that became kind of our guidebook. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the practices I learned that I shared ended up becoming kind of the practices that we have as a couple, Mm -hmm. um, making sure that we're staying kind of aligned. So take me back to previous years. I'm I'm very curious about this, where you are a self-described feminist. Mm-hmm. Strong woman, mm-hmm. um, successful in a corporate role, and yet there's something internally that feels like there's a lack of worth, mm-hmm. right? A lack of value of some sort um, that's attracting or setting yourself up for these types of relationships. Um, how does that work? You know what I mean? Like, how does that, from an outsider, you know, and for listeners who maybe are in that situation that are going, but, but, but Jeanette, like, look at your life, but look yeah. at you, like you're, you're the one who says you don't need a man. And yet you're wanting this guy. And then like, you're, you know, you have these ideals and these passions and these values, and then you're successful. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that all work together? You know what I mean? How does that come? I think human beings were such layered creatures and it's very hard to say that, well, if you had this upbringing, you should look like this, or if you have this job, you should feel this way inside. A lot of times what we're act, act, activists about or advocating for are what hurt the most. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's why I always, I struggle when people are like, oh, they stand for this, but then they had this problem in their past and this problem in their past. And you're like, well, it's, it's a journey. We're constantly trying to understand ourselves better. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I grew up in a, a religion that was very patriarchal. Mm-hmm. Um, women were not to, we weren't even allowed to pray in front of men. Um, we weren't allowed to take any type of leadership roles. Um, I remember going to a talk, a, a wedding talk, and it was about how women's supposed to be submissive and subjected, uh, sub- subjective to a man. Um, and I just, it never rang true for me. I always was like, nope, that's not right. That's not right. And I was a thorn in the side of the people within my church um, <laughs> because I was always so willful was the word that was used a lot. I was very willful, but I had a lot of people telling me how to dress and how to look and what was appropriate. But even what's funny and interesting to me is that even as a, a preteen, a teenager, I had grown men telling me that I was either I'm wearing too much makeup or I'm wearing something too suggestive or I'm, they sexualized me before I was ready. Mm. And I think that was another thing that became kind of like an anger point within me is mm. that like, I don't feel like a woman yet. I'm still a girl, mm. but you're already kind of blaming me for the way I make you feel. And so that became a theme, I think, throughout my teen and young adults and even into my 30s, where mm-hmm. the men across the table, and I, and I just found it interesting, you know, I was in a patriarchal home and religion, and then I moved into finance and corporate America, and I'm mm-hmm. usually the only woman at the table, still strong-willed, still willful, still, but still have people who were seeing me as a woman first, mm. as opposed to ha- having a brain. So I think that there was always this little spirit and spark and fight in me that was like, no, like, listen to what I, ha- I'm smart. Yeah. I'm, I'm valuable. And so I think I never wanted my daughter to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I realized how deeply I was ingrained in that culture. Sure. And that kind of like activism 
but yet I'd been raised also that I was supposed to be submissive and subjective in my, my relationships. Right. So it's weird because it's like what I'm fighting against, I'm also seeking because what I know of love is that a man is kind of over the woman. Mm-hmm. So I, it's like this internal battle, like my nature yeah. versus the nurture. And I struggled with it for a very long time. Um, it's funny because my ex-husband and I had a conversation recently. He said something like, you're if whatever feminism, bleh. And I was like, you helped make me this way. You know, like it's all these strong men that I had around me that were telling me what to do that I was like, no, I be- I became more resolute. Yeah. But I also think that one of the things I had to divorce was the idea that all men are bad and all men want power and all men, mm-hmm. X, Y, Z, whatever. Right. And be willing to open my eyes to, I think, and that's the really interesting thing through that five years of being single is getting to know people, men as, as human beings and as kind, gracious, compassionate creatures, as opposed to some of the men in positions of power that I assumed all men were like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the same way that you wouldn't want men to treat you like you were just a sex object or something of that nature. Yeah. Correct. Tell me the story of how you left finance then to start this media company. Like why mm-hmm. that's a big jump. That's a big shift. Why yeah. did you, why did you take that turn? I had, I, it, there comes a time I think in your life where you don't feel like you belong somewhere any longer. And it was, and even though people are like, Oh my God, that was such a huge jump. There was a buildup towards it. Right. And, um, through the course of my career, um, I worked with high net worth individuals. We managed, you know, significant amounts of money and I got to see the blessings and the curse of wealth and wealth creation. But I also got to realize the power that came with wealth. And I started studying, um, social impact investing and why it was important for companies to invest in clean energy and women and, um, all of these these concepts that allowed people who had a lot of wealth to also um, provide some assistance to global issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I started tracking corporate social responsibility and how important the corporate framework is for society and the way we view each other. So I was I was working with very wealthy people and putting their money to good work. Um, in a lot of cases, some not so much. Some weren't as interested. Some you know found it fascinating. And through the course of all of this, like as I started to do more research and as I became a subject matter expert and started traveling the country and talking about philanthropy and social responsibility and how we can change, I think it was like that part of me who always wanted to advocate, who always wanted to make the world a better place, mm-hmm. realized that I had a bigger, better platform. Um because of the shift that I experienced when having my daughter, because of all of the uh, work that I was doing and research I was doing, I wrote my book. And the book came out. The company was very supportive of it. I've been a writer for many years. I wrote within our community for local magazines. Mm -hmm. So the company, even though I was licensed, allowed me to do these things, but they stopped short at, you may not do any PR. You may not do a podcast. You may not, Uh. you can speak for fees, but we have to approve each speaking engagement. So, I was, there, I, there was this place where it was like, we support you up to this place, but if mm-hmm. you want to become successful at this, mm-hmm. you have to leave. Mm-hmm. And um, it was about a two-year decision. It took me about two years uh, to work towards, could I do this? Would I do this? This has been my identity for so long, mm-hmm. right? I was like, I felt pretty special having this really great title on my card and yeah. it felt good and I made great money. And um, 
there came a time where it was like my soul was dying. And I was like, I don't belong here anymore. I'm not helping. Mm. Um, I have a bigger platform, so I'm going to take a, a bet on myself. Mm-hmm. It seems like um, more and more people are having those experiences and not just living with the internal death, you know, but actually going, okay, I want to make a pivot. I want to make a change. I want to make a one third life, half life shift, you know? Um, And as you made that shift, what, how, how would you describe love is viral then? How would you describe the media company? What do you do? When I left corporate America, I knew I had a platform. I didn't know what it was going to become. Um, I spent some time soul searching and testing out different business strategies. Was it going to be a yoga studio? Was my platform going to be a co-working space? Was it going to be a podcast? Um, knowing it had to be, of course, more than just the podcast, but what, what was it? And I kept being drawn back to the phone because we spend our lives and live our lives through our our phones. Mm -hmm. And um, I checked out teaching systems and retreats and all kinds of things, but I kept coming back to this space because we spend so much of our lives in our phones. Mm -hmm. And I knew that there had to be some type of content distribution system. And to me, an app, um, people talk about technology and how it's such a terrible thing. I think it's net neutral. I think it's, if you use it correctly, it's a distribution system. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the, I decided at one point in time, it was several months in that, um, it was gonna be a media company that I had a voice and I mm-hmm. had something to say and I had people, a platform of people around me who wanted to join mm-hmm. felt like a cruise director for a little while. Um, so I'm like, okay, it's a media company, but what does that look like? Is it articles? Is it this? Is it that? And then when we decided on the app, um, I, found a developer who had worked for Disney Pixar who wanted to help um, create humane technology, um, which spoke to that part of me who's like, let's do something really groundbreaking. Let's create a space. You know, and there's other organizations and and apps out there, um, but ours is is very unique and and very, you can feel the people through it. Like there's Mm -hmm. very few spaces where you'll go where you can actually talk to a human being. after an interaction through the app. So mm-hmm. we decided we were going to use it as a content distribution platform, not mm-hmm. just a, uh, not just an app to have an app and uh, built from there. Mm. And a podcast to go along mm-hmm. with it, of course, called yep. gold. Why did mm-hmm. you choose the name gold? So gold to me was representative of like what we have within us. I thought of like um, celestial lights and gold and all of this stuff. Like we have so much wisdom within us that we disavow. We don't trust ourselves. We allow external noise to really kind of guide us. And to me, it was like, how do we mine that gold? How do we excavate our gold and share it with others? Um, And so it was just kind of unnatural at that point. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to this concept of love is viral. Mm-hmm. And um, I started thinking about this after we had talked previously in the name of your company. And I started thinking, uh, and this is just fun nuances to kind of play with, is do we make love go viral? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? How much do we participate in it? Or is love already viral and we are uh, joining love in the effort of right, so one is kind of us making the initial push of love versus us joining love. I don't know. Have you ever thought through that, or do you have any thoughts on that at all? 
I love the question. And I'm, I'm like such a deep thinker that I think for me, both are true. Like as you just asked me that right now, um, I think it's what we give our attention to is the differentiation. I think that um, you can see it when someone creates a pay it forward moment, right? If you've mm-hmm. ever been in a Starbucks and someone in front of you buys your coffee and you buy it for the person, everyone smiles and there's a sense of community. We're currently going through this pandemic and you're seeing people singing off their balconies and giving free um, training lessons on roofs. And you're like, we are so full of joy and love and gifts to share but we, our attention has been divided. So I think love already is viral, but if we actually put intention behind it and thought about how the way we think, the way we shop, the way we consume, the way we create, if we considered how it affected other people and we were intentional in the way that we expressed ourselves because we knew it, there's, we all, we're all connected. We were, it's, a, it's a domino. If you thought about that intentionally, I think that's a really beautiful thing. I think the question comes from within me because, as you know, I grew up in a very conservative um, religious background as well. One of the phrases that's in my, you know, kind of background or tradition is, how can we join God where God is already at work? Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of, um, there's the divine is already doing something unique in a situation, and how can we rather than kind of um, pushing the boulder uphill, join where the boulder's already in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet at the same time, there is, it doesn't seem like perhaps um, the divine is at work anytime someone's heart is sparked to do something out mm-hmm. of love, right? Whether love is already in motion in those situations, but that is interesting. You know, it seems like if there, it is, uh, you know, some people are called to be the people that start the viral coffee in Starbucks and others are called to just be the ones who keep it going, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like you're called to be the one who starts the viral Starbucks process. What I hope more than anything, and this is what I'm learning as I'm starting to communicate with some of our, our guests and our users is that there's already a spark within everyone, but there's distraction and confusion. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually have people who are using the app now sending me like notes, and I've been on a couple calls with a few of them. And what I keep hearing is, I know what I should be doing, mm-hmm. but I it feels overwhelming. I know yeah. what I want to do in life, but it feels really hard to get there. There's almost like this gray filter in front of people's eyes and they can see something just on the other side of it, but they don't know how to like get to it. Mm -hmm. And so I think what I'm finding more than anything is that there's a spark, there's a desire, there's a will, Mm -hmm. but we've consumed so much information. We've had so many people share with us their generational ideals and belief systems that we believe our life should look a certain way mm-hmm. and we get in our own way. So yeah. I think that the spark is already there. I think it already exists. And I think in a lot of ways right now, we have the time and opportunity to question who who are we serving, mm-hmm. right? So like if your work 
is if it's all about, I need to make money and this makes me look good and my title's great. Mm -hmm. Is that actually serving anyone? Are you doing it from a place of, Mm -hmm. uh, desire and a place of lack, a place of success, or are you doing it from a place of like, I'm serving others and I'm, I'm adding to the, the value within the world. And I think there are so many people who work out of fear and they work because we need security. We have this fear of security and no one is secure at this point. Like security has been a farce all along. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that people are, are really questioning right now is like, I had this great job. I have this great house. I have this great life and it can be taken from me in an instant. So what does it all really mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fascinating place that a lot of people are in. I don't get me wrong. I don't, I feel for, especially I live in Las Vegas. We will likely by the end of this be the hardest hit community. Mm-hmm. We have over, I think 350,000 people out of work. Yeah. People are going hungry. We do not have money for them right now. So I don't in any way downplay what they're going through. But I think if the people who are feeding them and the people who have employed them, the people who have insured them and the people mm-hmm. who have provided all of the things that they need, the governmental, if they take a look at how they're serving, I think that that's a huge eye-opener. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last question for you. Um, I want to talk about the type of world that you want your daughter to grow up and experience. Obviously she's nine, she's already experiencing it, but she's got a lot of years in front of her. What do you want her to experience in this world? What's interesting is I think my answer about a month ago would be different than it is today. Um, And I don't know what that means just yet because I feel like our answers are just outside of ourselves. Like the old Mm -hmm. systems and the ways that we've looked at at creation and job attainment and all of that stuff. I think it's all being called into question right now. Um, And so before I would have said, I want my daughter to be able to walk into a workplace and feel powerful. Okay. Not because she has put on power, but because she has such awareness of her value that she's never thinking about her gender or her background Mm. that she's walking in because of, you know, I'm smart and I have something to add Mm -hmm. because I I, I didn't feel that way for a long time. Um, Now my hope for her is that she grows up to be a compassionate Mm. person who uses her intelligence for others. She's a very, very bright girl and I was talking to her the other day and we we're, she's, she wants to be a scientist. We we're talking about the virus. She's like, I wouldn't mind working on the cure for the virus as long as I don't have to like touch any sick people. And it was just, it was really cute. But I think for, for me, I just, I believe that we have a landmark opportunity to remake our world right now. Hmm. I think that we have a chance to question our, systems of power and the structures in play and whatever comes out of that, I'm excited for what that could be for her, whatever that may look like. Um, I just think that there's so much opportunity right now if we take advantage of it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Your website is loveisviral.com. What mm-hmm. an amazing URL. I don't, did you buy Was that just available when you went to get it? <laughs> 
unavailable is very expensive. <laughs> okay. All right. I was like, my goodness, if that was available, I'm amazed. Yeah. Loveisviral.com and JeanetteSchneider.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, your uh, the uh, app is available on both platforms, Google, um, Android, right? I don't it's know the Apple. other platforms. Apple? Is it just Apple? It's, on, it's just Apple. We're trying to move it over cool. to Android as soon as we can. Okay. All right. Just on yeah. Apple, Live Pocket Coach. Yep. is what it's called. And of course, your podcast gold. So we'll link to all of those things in the show notes as well as all your social media. But Jeanette, thanks for sharing and being just so vulnerable with your own story. I think that's so valuable for people who are processing, you know, our own worth, our own value, our own um, desire to be loved and to love and um, our own journey to kind of pivot in the midst of things not feeling like they're a good fit anymore. So just appreciate your vulnerability and authenticity. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, congrats on listening to another episode of Inspiration Rising. Why congrats? Because you're pouring education and inspiration into your mind and heart. And that's something we all need if we're going to grow our businesses and reach our goals in life. Now, if you enjoy Inspiration Rising, do us a favor, share it with a friend, take a screenshot of your favorite episode and text it to them. Tell them to search for Inspiration Rising on their favorite podcast app and click subscribe. And if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for Inspo Text. That's our daily inspirational text messages. Just text me right now at 949-401-6090. That's 949-401-6090. Just say, hey, Dave, what's up? You'll get an automated reply with a link where you can add yourself as a contact. And of course, you can always unsubscribe. I want you to know today that you're inspired, empowered, and loved. Not because of the way you feel or what anyone else says about you, but because that's your true identity.